All right, well, good morning. Um, my name's Jaden. I'm one of the pastors here at Open Life. And so first thing I want to do today is give a quick shout out to the setup team today because Thad is gone today. And when Thad's gone, things can sometimes go hectic because he's kind of like the master of disaster and he knows everything that's going on. But today we just really like knocked it out of the park with the setup team. So I want to thank everybody who had a part in that because it just went really well today. So yeah, give them a hand. Let's give some applause, crowd participation. Well, so who knows, um, today is St. Patrick's Day. And so um, if you don't have your green on, we're going to have people pinching you on your way out as you leave today. And so I had something green that I was going to wear, but when we walked out of the house this morning, it got vetoed. And so I'm just wearing this today. And so um, it was a Sounders jersey. And it's probably a good thing I didn't wear it because it just reminded me of the game last night. And it was just disappointing. But anyway, this is the third week of our hashtag series talking about hashtag Jesus. And so we're talking about who Jesus is, what, what he's done in his life, what the Bible tells about him. Just anything about Jesus, that's what we want to talk about. So two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus as love. We talked about his love for people, his love for us, his love for everything and for everyone. And then last week, we talked about how Jesus is king, how God was fully God, but how Jesus was also fully man. And so this week, we're going to talk about something about how Jesus interacts with our lives and how he interacts with the lives of everyone around us. And so the name of the title of this message is Friend of Sinners, because as you look at Jesus' life, you really find out that he was a friend to all, and he never judged anyone, but always saw the best of what people had to offer. And so today we're talking about that. But where I first want to talk about is a story from Luke 7, because it really captures what I feel like Jesus was all about. You see, at the time of this story, Jesus had just raised a dead man um, back to life. And so stories about him are beginning to spread all throughout the area. And the stories caught up to a man named John the Baptist. And he was, the thing about John the Baptist is he was calling people to repent of their sins. And as they did, he was baptizing him in water as a symbol, symbolization for their decision to come back to God, to repent of their sins. And so what what John the Baptist's main purpose was, is he was a prophet who would prepare the way for Jesus' ministry. So everything John did in his ministry was to point to Jesus, to point to what Jesus was going to do. The problem is, is that when Jesus came, he came in a form that not a lot of people understood. Jesus did things that weren't what they thought that Jesus was going to be doing, that the Savior was going to be doing. And so John had questions. And so John's disciples, he had, John had his own disciples as well. They come up to John and they say, well, we're hearing stories about this Jesus, but is he really the Savior? Is he really the one? They knew he was from God, but they were just wondering, is he the Savior of our people, of Israel? And so the story that I'm going to read comes from Luke 7, 18 through 23. And it's a question that's asked of Jesus. And so let's just dive in and read that really quick. Luke 7, 18. The disciples of John reported all these things, the miracles Jesus was performing to him. And so they're reporting them to John. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them, the Lord, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? 
In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And listen to this, because this is what I really want you to think about for the entire service today. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who's not offended by Jesus. That's the question of the day today, is are you offended by the life of Jesus? Now, this question is more rhetorical, but I was reading this story today in my devotions this week, and I just saw that last little set section where it said, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And I, I'm like, why, why would people be offended by Jesus? Like, I was, I just caught me off guard. I almost like laughed because usually when I think of Jesus, the last thing I think of is offense. I think of kindness, of mercy, of love, compassion, but I don't think of offense. But at this time where Jesus is in the history of that, what Jesus was doing was very offensive to certain groups of people. You would think that a man who healed people, who loved people, who brought sight to blind eyes, who helped people who couldn't walk be able to jump up for joy, you would think that he would not be offended, or he would not be an offense to certain people. But the fact is, many were offended by him. The way of life at the time depended on who you are, what group of people you related with. For some Jews, life was in the longing for a Savior, for a Messiah. Prophecies from Scripture throughout history were pointing to a time when a Savior, a Messiah, would come to the people of Israel and deliver them from their hardships. And so many of them had this question, when is the Savior coming? And so Jesus was this Messiah, but the way that Jesus acted, acted out of his saving power was contrary to the way that people wanted him to act. The way Jesus went about his business on earth offended, pe- offended people. Even John, the one who God sent to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry, wasn't even for sure on who Jesus was and if he was a savior. Many wanted a ruler to start a revolution, to start a political uprising against the Romans, because at this time the Romans ruled the Jews. And so they wanted a savior to come and just abolish the Roman rule so they could have their own rule once again. But Jesus came not to institute a political revolution or a, a revolution of people, but he instituted a revolution of people's hearts. One that was not just for Israel, but one that would go to be for all people for the rest of time. So you have that group right there, people who are longing for a Savior and they're looking for who this Messiah is going to be. But then you have another group of people known as the Pharisees or righteous people who were offended by Jesus because he was in their eyes breaking the laws that they had set about to follow God for their entire life. Just as Jesus said himself, he was ministering to the poor, the unclean, the not wanted. He associated with the unrighteous. And this bugged the Pharisees. This bothered them. He was, Jesus wasn't afraid of perception and did everything he could to offend the, the, the righteous people because he was helping the judged and the hurting, the hungry and the broken. The way Jesus lived was an offense to the righteous people of this time. And so I think about this, how this impacts us today. 2,000 years later, 
and we're dealing with that same offense. I was brought up in a church, in a Christian home, and I was taught from a young age to do what is right, to, to obey my parents. And so they taught me like, things to do and things not to do. And so then when I would be around people who did the things that I wasn't supposed to do, my family told me to stay away from those people. Now, when you're molding young minds, that's a perfectly good explanation because I know as a child, I would just do whatever my cool friends were doing. And so you had to teach kids, you know, all right, these are the things you're supposed to do. These are the things you can't do. And don't really, you know, we always had those one, my parents always knew the one kids that would like corrupt me and like I would come back and I would like start yelling at them and I would never yell at them before I was hanging out with those people. So you have this perception, you're taught this from a young age that you need to stay away from those people. But as people grow older, grace and mercy should eventually come to the forefront. Now that I'm mature enough to make my own decisions, as people become adults, we're able to understand the power of God's grace and that he wants mercy for all people. No matter what past anyone has come from, what decisions they have made, may have made. And so as we read in two stories today, Jesus' love is what is offensive to some. How could Jesus love hated people? How could he associate with people known as dirty scum? Jesus' love for these people was so great, it was offensive. And somewhere down the line, followers of Jesus have turned what was supposed to be love into something that looks a little different. There is an idea that we sometimes fall into that is not love that changes people, it's judgment. If we judge people, they'll change. And instead of love helping lost, broken people, instead of that love that changes them, that offends the, the righteous people, we decide to have hate and judgment for those people to build our own selves up. And so what happens is people who should be being transformed by love of Jesus are, be, are being offended by people who think they're righteous. When really the love of Jesus should be helping broken people and offending us because we're not showing enough love. If Jesus came today, would we be offended by his life? Let's look at two basic stories of how Jesus lived out his life and see if we're doing a good job of reflecting that to others. The first story comes to us from Luke 19, 1 through 10. So I'm going to read through it and kind of explain some things as we go through. Um, but it's just a cool story. And just listen to the things that were said about Jesus just by the way that he was acting. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And so what you need to know about tax collectors in this time is that they were a hated people. Zacchaeus was a Jew, but he was also working for the Romans. The Romans had their taxes, and they needed people that were part of the people groups to take the taxes because they didn't want to get involved. And so what they would do is they would hire Jews to take the taxes from their own people. And so tax collectors were known at this time for taking the tax plus a little bit extra as their own commission off of that. And so people for, throughout history have always hated tax collectors, not much like it is today. We're like almost a month out for our taxes, and we get frustrated when the government takes our money. And so not only is Zacchaeus a traitor to his own people because he's working for the Romans, he's also a thief because he's taking off the top of people's taxes. 
He's wealthy because he's stealing off the backs of his own people. So verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. So let's think about that statement for a moment. Zacchaeus had heard stories of Jesus. He had known that Jesus was teaching and preaching and healing people. And so he heard that he was a great teacher. But you have to think, because Zacchaeus was also a Jew, he knew that there were stories of him being a savior. And so even though Zacchaeus is off on his own, he's a hated person, he's doing wrong things by stealing from people, he still in his mind has an idea that maybe Jesus is a savior. But this story tells us that Zacchaeus just wanted to know who Jesus was. And I think that's common for all of us today, is that people just want to know who Jesus is. The stories have spread in present day. There's churches everywhere, and people have one story of Jesus over here, and then people have another story of Jesus over here. People are just dying to know who Jesus really is. And it's Jesus who brings about the change in people. So if we're applying it to our lives, and if we're trying to express Jesus' love to people, it's important for us to think about how are people perceiving Jesus if we're the only expression of Jesus in their lives? Zacchaeus just wanted to know who Jesus was. Well, your friends, people you interact with, they want the same desire. They just want to know who Jesus is. And the only way they see it is through you. So who are they seeing as Jesus through your life? So as we continue, the verse goes, But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And so I have to say, this strategy never works for me. When I want to go to a wealthy person's house and hang out and just say, hey, so-and-so, I must come to your house today and hang out with you. That just never works. I mean, you know, I tried it multiple times, but it's just, I become a nag and it just bothers people. Um, but I'm actually, you would think, I'm the exact opposite of this, and I'll tell you a quick story. So I work at a coffee shop in Kirkland, and I love the Seattle Sanders. I love watching their games. You know, I probably talk about them every time I come up here, because I want everyone to love soccer. But anyway, so I'm working, and like, the people I see are the same people I see every day in my coffee shop. Well, all of a sudden, walks in a Seattle Sounder. And so I was like, I was like, in my head, I'm like, I know that, I'll just say his name, is Patrick Ianni. And so I was like, I was like, I was, someone was working with me, and I'm like, this guy plays for the Sounders. And so I'm like, really like, trying to be secretive and stuff. And so you would think I would like, be the guy on, have you seen the State Farm commercials with Aaron Rodgers, and the guy's banging on the window, he's like, Aaron Rodgers! You know, and so I feel like if I had the moment to like, meet someone famous or a sports figure that I really like, I would like, go crazy like that. Well, I just completely shut off. I, like, did not say anything. I didn't even acknowledge that he had, uh, was a sounder. And the funny thing was, is I was wearing, like, a sounder sweatshirt at the time and stuff. And so I had this, like, smirk on my face the whole time because, like, I knew he was a sounder. And he's famous in my eyes. And so he, like, orders his drink. So I start making it. And, like, in my head, I'm like, okay, I cannot screw this up. This, like, has to be the best drink I've ever made. And so I hand it to him, and he drinks it, and he's like, oh, thanks, this is really good. And so he goes and sits down, and so I still haven't brought anything up. And so I, like, found excuses to, like, go walk up to him 
and like say, you know, hey, we're about to close, but you can totally stay in here after time and stuff. Like, I, like, I won't kick anyone out. And so I'm just like, you know, infatuated with this idea that a sounder came and bought coffee from me, and I was like super excited. Well, so I end up closing, I end up leaving, and so I tell Danny, and she's like, well, why didn't you even talk to him? Or why didn't you like say, because the thing is, he had this awesome goal last year, that like one goal of the year. And so I didn't even like say good job on that. And so I felt really dumb. And so this is just how I process through things. And so getting back to the story, I'm totally not the guy who would just say, hey, I'm coming over to your house today. We're going to have some fun. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus was so genuine that he expressed that love so much that Zacchaeus didn't even think a second more on it. And so we go on to verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, about Jesus. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus acknowledges that Jesus is all he has heard about and immediately changes the way that he has lived his life. In a moment, he repented of all his sin, and he shows that repentance by choosing to give up his possessions and to repay back the people who had stolen from. There was substantial fruit, fruit and life change from that one moment of just having a time with Jesus, where Jesus said, I'm not going to care about perceptions of what I'm about to do, to go spend time with a tax collector, a sinner. He's like, I'm not going to worry about that because I see the values that Zacchaeus has. I see the fruit that can come out of his life and I'm going to take the extra step to be there for him. So the verses continue. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus sums this all up by acknowledging Zacchaeus' steps of faithfulness to come back from where he was. Someone in Zacchaeus who was once a traitor, once a thief, is now back in line of being in right relationship with God just from a moment encounter with Jesus. When Jesus says that now Zacchaeus is the son of Abraham, he's saying no longer are you a traitor to your own people. You're now a son of Abraham. You are in the family of the Jews. You are now back in right relationship with God. And in the end, that verse Jesus ending with Jesus, he also lets us in on his purpose, to seek and save the lost. Everything Jesus did was to search, to find, and to uncover every stone, to leave no stone unturned, to find lost people who were hurting and broken and needing a savior. He didn't judge them. He came to save them. Jesus is a friend of sinners. So now let's look at another story that exemplifies Jesus' offensive life. And this one comes from Matthew, Matthew 9, 9 through 13. This one's a little bit shorter, so I'll just read through it. And so it starts off, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, 
It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So here we go again with tax collectors. If you happen to work for the IRS and visiting with us today at Open Life, we love you. This, all these stories are about the tax collectors in the Bible, not about you. So don't feel judged. But it's funny because my um, mother-in-law actually does our taxes. And so I was really hoping that she'd be able to hear this message too. So I'll send her the podcast um, because she's kind of collecting all of our taxes. So that's really nice. And so, but from this story, again, we see that one, Jesus is calling out to a sinner to come follow him. Two, that sinner responding to Jesus's life. And three, that Jesus is being found in the presence of sinners over something to eat, a dinner, just hanging out, something very simple. And so we're again left with the same question. Why does Jesus choose to eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he do this all the time? Does Jesus always have to be just the life of the party? Does he always have to be the center of attention, the center of controversy? Let's look at the Pharisees, the people that are judging Jesus for this. It's easy to see why Jesus was offending them. They had devoted their whole life to a set of laws and to a set of rules that dictated their tradition and what it was to be righteous. They have law after law of who they could be with, who they could talk to, the way they could speak, what days they could work, what days they couldn't work. And so all of these rules and laws that they lived by dictated on whether or not they were righteous, whether or not they had what it was to be in right relationship with God. And so then Jesus comes, and he changes all of that. He, he starts hanging out with these sinners, these tax collectors, this filth, these people that were so hated and so marginalized that it offended them. Because why is Jesus, who some people say is the Savior, these Pharisees are like, I'm not going to believe it. He's not the Savior because he, he hangs out with sinners. Jesus is right in front of him, and they can't see it. So imagine with me for a moment. If firefighters, police officers, doctors showed up to a crime scene or a tragedy or a car wreck or a house fire, and they just, they show up and they didn't do anything, wouldn't that just kind of like make your blood boil? If people were screaming from the inside of a car or home, just, just gasping for air, trying to be saved, and the firefighters show up and they just don't do anything. They just sit there and they just watch people die. These brave men and women, firefighters, police officers, who have trained for their uh, trade of craft, they have the ability to save these people, yet they don't do anything to help anyone. What if they said something, well, you know, they shouldn't have left the oven all night. That's their bad. Or they showed up to a car wreck and said, well, maybe you should have just paid a little more attention while you're driving on the interstate. And they just let them suffer in there. That's what the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees are those types of people. People who say they know God, yet are too prideful to do anything about it to meet the needs of people who are lost, people who are hurting, people who are broken. All because they were sinners. This is what the Pharisee would say. Oh, you're lost? You're a sinner? Well, I guess you shouldn't have messed up. I guess you shouldn't have become a tax collector. Jesus says to these people, you guys are all fools. 
It's the sick who need a doctor. It is the lost who need saving. It is the tax collector here named Matthew who's going to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples and later become the, one of the pillars of Jesus' church. Jesus came with a message of mercy to those that were lost. He came to earth with a message of love that was for everyone. It didn't matter if you were blind, poor, sick, wealthy, beautiful, or ugly. It just mattered if you were able to see who Jesus was. Jesus lived a perfect life while being a friend of sinners to show the sinners that no one is below the point that his love can reach. Yet Jesus also lived a perfect life while being friends with sinners to show the righteous that no one is above the point of needing Christ's love. Jesus' life sets the example for what the church needed to be throughout history. He did it in many ways, but here are three that I really want to hit on for the examples of the stories that we read today. The first one, and it's on your handout, is that Jesus lived a genuine life. Zacchaeus just wanted to know who Jesus was. What's Jesus' life all about? The thing about Jesus was is that he let him see it. He let him see all of it. Jesus didn't go into being with people to get something out of it. He didn't do it for his own gain. His sincerity is what got his foot in the door with people who would normally be offended by someone of Jesus' stature and teaching. The word genuine actually means truly what something is said to be. And Jesus was truly what he was said to be. Jesus was said to be a lover of all people, a healer, a savior, and that is how he lived. It is this genuineness that we must live with if we expect to have any impact in the lives of those of the people around us. People want to know if you are real, if you are fake, if your life is free from facade. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. If you hear that speak, that's his like life verse. Is that we were delighted to share with you not only in the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Yes, our goal at Open Life is to always lead people into growing relationship with Jesus, but we also want to share our lives with you. We want you to understand that we get it, that life is difficult, that it's hard, that it's not easy. We want to share the good news of Jesus with you, but we also want to hear of your victories in life. We also want to hear of your failures, your defeats. We want, to want, we want to be the ones that you tell of your great stories in your life, but also that you come to have a shoulder to cry on. Jesus lived genuinely, genuinely, and for it, he had a voice in the lives of those around him. He had a voice into the lives of sinners because he lived a genuine life. The Pharisees lived lives of facade, and as a result, people were cast out. People didn't want to be around them and they didn't want to be around sinners. And they were ashamed from being able to share life with God. And so can I encourage you in this way? Is that everyone is a sinner. For all the time that people have ranked sin throughout history, we usually rank it on a scale of how much it affects me. And so on the one hand, you might have a white lie, and you think, well, that's not a huge deal. It doesn't really affect me that much. It doesn't really affect the person I said it to. 
But then you have sins such as like murder and adultery, things that affect families, they affect people. And we think those sins are so bad, but the white lies, the things that I do, the sins that I commit, they just aren't that big of a deal. Well, that's true. There's different consequences that happen with sin over here versus sin over there. One could send you to jail. One, there could be no consequence for something you do. But the thing that you need to realize is that God looks at all sin the same. God's heart is broken every time we say a little white lie to take advantage of someone. His heart breaks when people commit murder. But Jesus said, or God says, that all have sinned. All of us have sinned and fallen short of his glory. So can I encourage you today that you're not alone in the sin that you commit. I sin. We all sin. But the thing is, we don't promote the sin. We don't get excited because we're all sinners here gathered together just partying in our sin in a wallow of waste. But we celebrate is because as we're all sinners, we're all forgiven because of Jesus. If we're all sinners here and we've accepted Jesus, we're now all forgiven people. And the problem is, is that if we take that forgiveness and hold it to ourselves, then other people who are still stuck in sin but don't have the forgiveness, they're literally separated from God. They literally don't have that right relationship with God and that love of Jesus. But when they take that step, when they take that step, when they see you live a genuine life of Jesus living through you, and they say, I want that, and they finally get it, whether that's through a relationship or whether they come to open life, however they choose to follow Jesus and finally get to know him, then that bridge is crossed, and now no longer are they sinners. Now they're sinners that are forgiven and they're in right relationship with Jesus. But it's important for point two is that Jesus first invited others. Jesus first invited Zacchaeus to come over to his house. Jesus just invited Matthew to come follow him. It's easy to try and complicate these things. But do you think that Jesus just sat there and wondered whether or not Zacchaeus would let him come over to his house? Do you think Jesus just cowered over the decision to ask Matthew to follow him? No, he just asked him. He said, hey, Matthew, come follow me. Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house. We're going to have a good time. What if we took a risk on someone in this Easter season, and if we just said in the steps of Jesus— I'm just going to ask someone to what Open Life is doing this Easter weekend coming in two weeks. Who knows what could happen? Watch this quick video of what Open Life is doing this Easter, and then we'll kind of finish up to talk about what Jesus wants to do in your life. So if you want to do something really quick, just a housekeeping note, is check out our website, check out the city, because we have all the information on there. There's links on there that you can email the people, share on Facebook. But we really just want people, as a church community, as a body, to go to Bonnie Lake, Allen York Park, uh, the day before Easter, just to pass out all, like seriously, you put out thousands of eggs, and literally 15 seconds when they like sound the horn, all the work you did for a couple hours is just gone, because those kids just go nuts. 
And so it's an awesome event just to hand out uh, candy with like some invites to open life. It's just fun to be with people outside of like open life. It's fun to hang out just to throw eggs. You know, you do that really quick and then you just have fun, throw a ball around and you just kind of get to know people. So that's what we want to do with that event. And then on Sunday, we just want people to show up. There's opportunities where people are just going to get to receive Christ in the simplest way that we can explain it is when we try to do it on Easter. Because we don't want people to be freaked out. We're not going to be doing any like snake charming or anything weird. We're not that kind of like people. And so we're like, we're just going to be here to love on Jesus and to love on people. And so that's what we want uh, you to invite people to. So the point of this is that if you have genuine relationship with people, I'm sure they're not going to be offended if you just invited them to Open Life's Easter service. If you just handed them an invite. And if they have questions, then you're not on the spot. Just answer them honestly. And if they aren't ready to come, if they don't want to be there, and then they say, oh, you know, I think I'm going to skip this year. Like, that's fine. That's their prerogative. But your prerogative is to ask them. And it's like, there's no offense. Like, we're not offended if people don't show up. We want people to show up, and we're excited when tons of people are going to be here for Easter. But we're not offended by the people who don't come. We just want them to be here. Like, I'm not going to be offended because I want people to know Jesus. And I'm not going to be offended if they don't show up. Because I love people and I want them to be here. And so the third thing on your handout is that Jesus brings life. The most incredible thing about these stories is that new life was brought into the lives of Zacchaeus and Matthew, the people Jesus invited. After spending just a short time with Jesus, Zacchaeus chose to give up half of what he had and to repay back the things that he had stolen from people. Matthew became one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Just from a question, come follow me, Matthew, he became a disciple. And he eventually became a pillar of Jesus' church, one of the people that started to spread the word of Jesus throughout the world. All because Jesus went to a sinner and said, come follow me. These stories aren't the ones of physical healing, but they're the stories of more importance, of most importance, because they're stories of spiritual healing. They're the stories of people's lives coming from darkness and entering into light with Jesus. When everyone just labeled these two people as people that were sinners, as people that were scum of the earth, as people that were evil, Jesus chose to look through that. He chose to look beyond that. And he treasured what they had to offer so much that he asked them the question. He gave them the invite. He said, Matthew, come follow me. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. He didn't just sit there, he ran to them. He met a need of relationship in their lives and brought the life that is truly life right to them so they could experience the freedom of forgiveness. He didn't do it through the law, but through faith. He did it, did it through faith in him. And so Jesus brings life to all. And so the final question is, are we living the kind of lives that Jesus lived? Are we, would people that are righteous look to us and be offended by our actions? Because that's kind of, kind of the life that I want to live. I would love for people who think 
they've been Christians their whole life, but then have never brought anyone to Jesus, I would love for them to look at my life and be offended by it because I'm willing to go to people who are lost, hurting, and broken and to like save them, to have them know Jesus. If my life is offense to someone that's a Christian, then I'm sorry, but there's more lost people that need to know Jesus. And that's our heart here at Open Life, is we just want to love lost and broken, hurting people. And so what I'm not saying is that you to go to your friends and say, hey, one of my pastors said, it's okay for me to sin so that I can like reach out to you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Jesus loves sinners, but never sin. And so we have that to try and live up to. Jesus died so that all of us sinners could have forgiveness through him. And so the other thing I'm not saying is that for you to say to your friends, well, one of my pastors told me to go hang out with prostitutes, murderers, drunkards, and just to like, you know, partake with them. And no, I did not say that. But if you know any of those people, those are the people that need to know Jesus. And so how about just starting to love your friends? How about just starting to invite them to have a true, genuine relationship with you? Not where you're like, oh, I have to tell you about Jesus right now, but just to show them your genuine life that Jesus has created inside of you. Show that genuine life to them. And I know through time that God will soften their hearts to a point where maybe they ask you a question. And maybe that's a victory. Maybe that one question is a victory of like God working in their hearts. Look for the small victories. And so in closing, I want to just talk about the act of invitation. And these are your action steps for today. But the first thing I want you to do is think about when you first were invited by Jesus. I was seven years old, and I just remember like the, the speaker, I was in children's church, and the speaker asking, does anyone want to accept Jesus into their heart? And I raised my hand and said it. And so, like, I didn't know the difference. Like, what, what was my life going to be different or whatever? Well, so I remember later that week, after that Sunday, I'm sitting in the car, and my sister did something super annoying to me. I don't remember what it was, but I, like, I gave her grace, and I didn't, like, hit her or smack her or yell at her or anything. And so my mom literally asked me, she's like, Jaden, why, like, were you so nice to your sister right there? And I said, well, I asked Jesus to come into my heart on Sunday. And so I'm, gonna, I'm trying to act differently. And so it was just that one moment. And so those are the things I think about now as I live my life now. It's like, that's just what Jesus wants. He wants people who just come to know him and just want to live their lives differently. They see the light and they just, they just change automatically. So I want you to do that. Think about when was the time Jesus invited you into relationship with him? When was the time that you went from a sinner to being forgiven? And so the thing about it is maybe some of you here have not made that choice, have not made that time where you said, you know, Jesus, I really want to be forgiven of the things that I've done. So the second action step is, you know, follow Jesus. Jesus came for you. And you may think church sucks. You may think religious people suck. And if you think people at Open Life suck, come talk to me after service and I would like to know why and I'd like to talk to you so that we can change because that's what we, we, we don't want to suck. We want to be like inviting and nice people who welcome you in here on Sundays. 
Jesus loves you and he's a friend to all. And so the third thing is that your invitation could be the difference for someone to know Jesus as their friend this Easter. So continue to pray for that one person who you're just trying to have one small victory, who you're just gonna hand an invite card. We're gonna have 10 cards for you. We have thousands and thousands of invitations because we got a cheap deal on printer. And so we could literally like take a helicopter and spray invitations all across Bonnie Lake and we would still have some for you to have on Sundays. So literally take as many as you want. But that's just a simple way to say, hey, my church is doing something awesome this Easter. I would love for you to be there. Simple as that. Lots of people make plans for Easter. Why not make open life a part of those plans? Those are the three things that I want to do. Super simple. But just remember that Jesus invited. He took simple steps to just love people. The dirty people. The sick people. The broken people. The sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. So God, we come before you right now and we just thank you that you are a friend to all. That you see through the filth of our lives the things that we've done and you say you're more than that. You're more than a sinner. You're forgiven because of my sacrifice, God. And so I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you that I can have faith in you and have right relationship with God because of the things that you did. The way you died, the way you lived, the way you rose again, God. Thank you, God. And so I pray right now that you'd empower the people of open life to make a change in this community, God. And it starts with an invite. It starts with an ask. It starts with a simple step forward, God. You used two words to call Matthew. You just said, follow me. And he came and changed his life. All you did was ask Zacchaeus if you could go over to his house and you change his life, God, would you give us the power to be that simple and to have that much of an impact in the lives of those around us? So I ask all of us in your name.